0: Okay, all right, there you go. I promise you, we won't have that every single Sunday. You want it every Sunday? <laughs> you can go YouTube it yourself. You guys do realize that, right? Okay, all right, yeah, who's on first? Who's on first? What's on second, and I don't know what's it's on third. That's actually a really great description of our life. Who, who do you think actually wants to be on first? Yeah, but... Yeah, but what actually ends up typically being on first? Us. And then I don't even know what comes third, because there is so many things happening in our lives. God wants to be on first. That's the big question that we're going to be addressing throughout this entire series. Okay? He wants to be first. We need to live somewhere second or third, somewhere in that zone, right? But he needs to be first. And so that's what the series is really all about. That's what we're going to be looking at. We like to say... That God is first. We love to say that. In fact, if you are somebody who would confess that Jesus you know, is your leader and your Lord, then it feels really good to say God is first. But the big question is, is he really? And then keeping God first can be extremely difficult. Can't it? I mean, it's a challenge to keep God first. Priorities are challenging. They, they shift as you know, time changes. I remember as our kids, they grew from you know being little to you know getting into sports and then getting into junior high and then going to high school and then as they all graduated and now we're empty nesters, priorities they change, and it's so easy for God to, in the mix of all of the changes, to all of a sudden not be first in our lives anymore. Just try to keep honoring God, you know, with a life that glorifies him and builds builds him up and lifts up his kingdom like excuse me try to live that way and you'll find out that it's super difficult living a life that honors god is a challenge but here's the good news we always win when god's on first come on say that with me we always win when god is on first who cares what's on second and i don't know who's on third but i do know this We always win when God's on first. Everybody likes to win. How many of you guys have ever participated in anything where you ended up in first place? Think about it for a second. Think about it for a second. Now, you know, I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to know it's not bragging because I'm asking you. It could have been back in grade school. It could have been yesterday. How many of you have participated in something where you took first place? Let me see your hand. All right, now, keep your hand up. All right. Put your hand down if it felt really, really bad, right, to be in first place. Okay, put your hand down. How many of you guys have participated in something and you wanted to be in first place, but you were not? Okay, okay. Right, how many of you guys participated in something you were just glad you finished? Put both hands up. All right, there we go. All right, right. Yeah, I'm just glad that I finished it, right? Uh, I, I get that. I, I was in the Air Force, and we went off to this national... Uh, event where there was a lot of competition that was going on one of them was shooting and I took my m16 and at the banquet at the end of the event this massive room with you know hundreds and hundreds of different airmen from around the nation I ended up getting my name called for the top gun award yeah the top gun award I don't know how it happened I just, put, I just put the bullets on target, you know? I mean, it was so random, and there were so many different things going on. And at the end, I get it, and I have the plaque that says Top Gun Award, and it's awesome. I, I mean, I remember that, and I, I still I love, I love the fact that that happened. Um, We went to our Facebook, I don't know if you guys looked at Facebook this week, but we asked this very same question on Facebook, you know, when have you ever finished in first place? We got some great responses, so I don't know if you noticed it or not, but check this one out. Kara Sanchez from our North Platte campus, she goes, I remember in middle school, during the fitness test, I had the highest vertical jump in my class, and that's saying a lot since I'm short. (laughs) Kara, I know you, you're somewhere in this zone, all right? And that is, that is true, that is true. We also had, right here from our own Carney campus, uh, we had jo, Joatt, right, Joanna Ott. She said, I, got, I was in first place in my fourth grade Phelps County Spelling Bee. Come on, Dad's in the room right now. Dad, you gotta be proud, right? Come on, Dad, there you go. Dad's at the Carney campus. Yeah, you better believe it. Our own campus pastor out in Ogallala, Trevor Liebarger, give it up for him, by the way. Come on, give it up for him. I hope, Ogallala, right now, you better be cheering loud. You better be cheering loud. But Trevor Leibarger says, look, I got first place twice. I'm the Carney High Slam Dunk Champ two years in a row. Yeah. Can, can I just ask a question? Would any of you guys like to see some of his slam dunking? All right, Trevor, here's the challenge. We want you to go this week out to the local basketball court. We want to see some of those dunks, and we want to put on our Facebook account. Everybody, is everybody with me? All right. All right, Jordan, get out there. Get him good, all right? Lift up the camera. We don't him jumping out of the camera. Evidently, he can fly. He can soar. So we want to see that. Our own Cindy Hayes right here, right? Cindy Hayes, like, I graduated top of my class in nursing school. That is awesome. I love that. She's on our, she's on our Carney worship team today, and she's on our medical team, and I love that kind of statistic because if I get sick, that's the kind of person I want, Right? You with me? Check this one out. From Carney, again, Blaine Gronwaller. He goes, look, I finished first when I married my wife. I don't know if Blaine's here. Every husband right now should put their arm around their wife and said, honey, if I was going to say something on Facebook, that's what I would say. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're not going to take advantage of it? Okay. All right. I get it. it feels too cheesy now that I put the words in your mouth. All right. But here's my best. This is my favorite. From Ogallala, brand new, Kathy, Kathy Wheatley, right? I was first place in many chugging contests. Now, I had to gather myself back after that moment, only to become delivered by the first son, Jesus, to have a first-rate life with King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Oh, man, am I a winner. Come on. I love it, Kathy. I'm, I'm excited for you. I really am. Look, here's the deal. We like to finish first. We like to get the award, and we love to have the bragging rights, by the way. We all just had our moment. And if you you had a moment to share with the person next to you where you finished first, you would share, like I did, about your award, and you would share about your bragging rights. But here's the problem. We like to finish first way too much. We like to be first way too much. And God designed us to be second to his leadership. Here's a scary thought. Scary thought for Christianity. Many of us, we think that God is first in our lives. Many of us us will even say that God is first in our lives. But could it be possible that we're living our life, calling ourselves a Christian, meaning that Christ is first, but yet he is not? That's the scariest thought that I think any Christ follower could have in their life. Scariest thought, any person that's here seeking God, whether you're in North Platte or Ogallala, right? Or here at our Kearney campus, if you're seeking God, the scariest thought could be this. I believe that God is first. I say that God is first, but he's not really in my life. He's really not first. And here's one of the reasons why I say that that's scary. Because of the way we try to evaluate ourselves. We evaluate ourselves based on outward, external evidence, not internal evidence. We look at the external of our lives and we come up to a conclusion that we determine that based on the behaviors of my life, therefore God is first. But God's not looking at the external, he's looking first at the heart, It's not by works that anyone is saved, but I will tell you this, out of the heart of the believer, like Chris told us weeks ago, out of the heart of the believer is good works, but it's not the works that impresses God, and it's not the works that pleases God, it's out of the heart that pleases God. We tend to evaluate our lives based on the external. The first century church of Ephesus was also struggling with this very same issue. They were struggling with this identity piece of is God first in my life or is he not? And I want you to listen to what Jesus said to them because I think Jesus is saying these, th- these same words to us today And we're trying to address the question, who is on first in our lives? Listen to what Jesus said. He says, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say that they're apostles but are not you discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. Before we get too deep into this, I do want to look at some of the amazing things that Jesus said about this group of people. Any one of the things I'm going to highlight, you would love for Jesus to say about you. Any one of the things I'm going to talk about in these next few moments would be a huge accolade. It would be an award for you that you had finished first in this area, and you would proclaim it, and you would say, look what Jesus said about me. You would make your own t-shirt with your own slogan, right, of what Jesus said about you. Look what he said about these guys here. Going back to the beginning, he goes, I know all the things you do. Now, hold on, before you get too freaked out about that, because he does know all the things that you do, he does. But here's what's interesting. What things does he know that you do? Many of us, we focus in on all the negativity. We focus on all the failures of our lives. We're like, well, he knows those. Well, he knows it all. But look what he focused on with the church of Ephesus, because I think this is what he would focus on in your life. What does he know about them? He knows this. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Wouldn't it be awesome that Jesus would look at you and he would say to you, eye to eye, face to face, I know your hard work and your patient endurance. That would be awesome if he, you recognize that God? God recognizes your hard work and your patient endurance. Then he goes on and he says this to them. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Now, that, that's an interesting statement. It's not that they you know, rejected people that were not like them. It was that they knew what right and wrong was, and they didn't just like, slip in their doctrine. They didn't slide with the culture. They didn't just accept the way that the world was living and bring it into the church. They said, look, we've held true to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're not wavering from it. There was a dedication there. It wasn't a, you know, big negative rejection of others and, you know, ostracizing other people. It was a, I know who God is. I know who Jesus is. I, I'm going to live based on his principle and based on his word. That would be an awesome statement to have, be, have made about us here at New Life Church. But he goes on. He says, look, 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 let me tell you what else I know about you guys. You've examined the claims of those who say that they're apostles, but they're not. There's only one way to know a false teacher, and that is to know the truth. This group of people, they knew they knew what the truth was. Wouldn't it be awesome for Jesus to look at you, look you in the eye and say to you, I know you know my word. I know you know. My. I mean, wouldn't that just build us up? Of course it would. Of course it would. Look what else. Look what else he had to say about them. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Wow suffered i mean persecution the rejection of their own culture fighting like a fish upstream with all of the sin and evil that was and corrupt you know actions that were happening in Ephesus of their day and jesus is saying i i can see that you've suffered for me and even in your suffering instead of throwing the towel in and going it's not worth it anymore he goes look you didn't quit just one of those things was said about you wouldn't it be awesome and they had this laundry list of amazing things, but here's the, big, here's the big problem. The Church of Ephesus, the Ephesians, they were giving the Lord their service, but they were not giving them themselves. They would have said, "I am a follower of Christ. They weren't really giving him their heart. I want you to look back at how he, how he wrapped it up in verse four and five, but he goes. But after all of this, he goes, look, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen, turn back to me, and do the works that you did at first. Look, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. It's not that that you don't love me anymore. It's not that you've abandoned a love for me or a love for others. It's that you don't love me like you did at first. Notice the difference there. That's what what could be said about us. Jesus could stand here on this platform. He could look at us as a church, and he would go, look, I just got this simple complaint against you, and and listen how compassionate it would be. Guys, I've got this concern for you. You you love me, but you don't love me like you used to. You you love others, but you don't love them like you used to. He goes, look, Look where you've fallen. Look, look how far you've drifted. I'm not on first anymore. And they would argue, yeah, but Jesus, look at, my, look at my patience and look at my endurance. Look at my hard work. Look at the suffering that I've been through. And he would go, yes, I know. I see all of that in you. Here's my concern for you. It's that you've missed the mark. You're throwing the dart It's hitting the dartboard, but you're not hitting the bullseye anymore. And if I don't come to you and I don't adjust that in your life, I don't challenge you, I don't bring this concern to you, then eventually your darts will no longer hit the board anymore. They'll be falling way short. And eventually you'll never pick up the dart and throw it again. Jesus was coming back to them and saying, look, get back to the bullseye. Get back to the thing that really matters. Get back to putting me on first. So he says to them, turn back, basically meaning this, repent. Look at that, listen. These are followers of Jesus. These are people that in their lifestyle, the display of them, you and me, would walk through the streets of Ephesus, we would look at that church and we would go, wow, now that's a good church. Those people are dedicated. They're all in. It was probably a nice looking building. People were giving financially all of the acts of Christianity were being done, you would probably even go to that church. But you would always say, something's missing. Something's lacking. And are we that church? Have we become those people? Because if Jesus isn't on first, then look, we can do all the right things, but we're really not loving him. The thing he cares about the most. And we're not loving each other like he cares about the most. The two simplest things, the two greatest things, thing that all the other laws, all the other gospel hangs on, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's going, look, you've missed it. Turn back and repent. You see this same thing happening in another place of Scripture where Jesus visits the friends Mary and Martha in their house while he brings the disciples along. Let's look at the account in Luke chapter 10. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all of the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord, Jesus said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Right? That's Jesus speaking. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. What's he talking about? Himself. Mary discovered it and it's not going to be taken away from her. It's easy to get our self-worth Kind of wrapped up and defined by the tangible things that we do with our hands. I think that's really what you see happening with Martha. Her significance is being wrapped up in what she does. I'm coming to church. Right? I'm going to a life group. I'm in a growth track. I'm going on a global outreach trip. Right? I'm serving on a ministry team. I'm getting my self-worth from that. But let me just tell you: your true significance is found in one place and one place only. And it's keeping God on first in the quietness of his presence on a regular basis. There is no substitute for it. Let me get radical for a minute. If you only had one hour to give God, where would you give it? Coming here on Sunday morning? Going to a life group? Going on a global outreach trip to a third world country and serving the least of these? Being on a ministry team? Going, singing in, the, in, in, a, in a choir or being on a worship team or preaching a sermon, if you only had one hour to give to God, where would you want to give it? Let me just get radical for a second and say this to you. None of those areas. If you only had one hour to give to God, the greatest hour you could spend with God would be in the quietness of his presence. You only have one hour. See, our significance is found in the quietness of those moments when we're alone with him, not in the tangible things that we do with our hands. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to ministers. I'm talking to life group leaders, directors, team leaders, team members, congregants, people that have followed God for generations much older than me, people who are seeking God. I'm just telling you, your greatest significance is gonna be found in his presence, not in what your hands can do. Not in filling a seat on a Sunday either. Can I, just, can I just give you my, my confession this morning? Let me just tell you about my greatest sin. Can we pull back the veil and just talk about my greatest sin for a minute? We're not going to talk about yours, so evidently you should say, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> my greatest sin is really this, hiding behind the leading of this church. That's my greatest sin. Versus taking time to just give myself to Jesus. That's my greatest sin, as your pastor. I get wrapped up in the leading of this entity called new life. It requires a lot, it requires a lot of energy and a lot of effort and a lot of thought process and a lot of process and procedure and a lot of action steps that have to be taken. My greatest sin is hiding behind that instead of hiding in the presence of God. My greatest sin. If it's my greatest sin, then I know this. It's something that really affects you, affects all of us. We all struggle with this on a regular basis. How does a church like the Church of Ephesus or how does a person like Jeff Baker, how do you lose your first love? You grow familiar with the routine of Christianity. That's one of the ways you do it. You're just around Christianity so much it just becomes another thing that you do. You know the lifestyle of it. You, you know the language of it. You know what to say, when to say it. You know when to say Amen. You know when, you know the words to all the songs. You know the routine. When when Christianity becomes a routine, it's one of the key indicators that first love is starting to slide. When you find greater significance in doing things for God than just spending time with God, that's one of the indicators that your first love is starting to slide. Right? Here's another one. When you give room to sin in your life and you justify it, you rationalize it, and you start to disguise it. When that process happens, you need to know your first love is sliding. You still might be a life group leader. You still might be a worship leader. You still might be heavily involved. You might be a deacon of the church. You might be a pastor of the church. But when you justify, rationalize, and disguise sin, your first love is sliding. Let me tell you another one. When we stop spending quality time with with true Jesus followers... When you stop spending time with true Jesus followers. First Corinthians 15 says it this way. It goes, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Some versions say always ruins. You stop spending time with Jesus followers. Here's a scary thought, though. Some of you that are listening to my voice today in any of our campuses, some of you, you've never experienced a first love. But you would call yourself a Christian. I don't know why. It might be because you don't feel like you're good enough. It's probably because you defined your relationship with God based on the things that you're doing for God than just being with God. The scariest thought is that you've been sitting in our seats for the last year, two years, 10 years. You've never experienced the first love of God because your relationship with God has been defined on something that's inaccurate and it's wrong. What God's interested in, in your life, in my life, what true conversion is, what true salvation is, is surrendered to Jesus. And he wants us to repent, repent of places where we've been first. Repent of the places where, you know, we haven't let him be first. That's what he wants us to do. And if we don't, then what will happen, like it's done for many of us, is this. This is how we lose our first love. It's the slow fade of it all. It's the day by day, and then all of a sudden you're at this place where your relationship with God is stagnant and it's cold, and you're finding yourself entertained with and dabbling into things you never wanted to dabble into. You're drifting away from God. You haven't been to church, you know, for over a month. You got other things, other priorities that have taken place, and on and on and on and on and on. You haven't opened your Bible. It hasn't cracked. You haven't spent time in prayer with Him. Worship is this cold to slow fade, guys how do you get the first love back first place you start is at the altar of repentance and one of the things that we say here at new life is we say that the altars are for the hungry never forget that the altars are for the hungry on a sunday morning flood the altar during worship and know this you're not going to be stereotyped as that's a screwed up person you're going to be stereotyped as that's a hungry person for jesus I don't care what you're at the altar for. My attitude and my mindset is always, that's a hungry person for God. That's a person who wants something more from God than what they're going to get if they just stay in their seat. Because the Holy Spirit's stirring in your heart and he's going, make a move to me. Make a move toward me. And the only thing you know to do is come to the front, kneel down at the altar, and just seek him. It's one of the healthiest things you can do on a regular basis, not just on a Sunday. That will help you get your first love back. Press into Jesus. Just get close to Him. Repent. Seek God in His Word. Seek God at times when you don't have distractions. You know, spend time with other Jesus followers. Think about it this way. Think about our, like, you know, our solar system, the sun, boiling hot, right? Many times more than boiling hot. Think about Mercury, how close it is. How hot is Mercury? And how fast is it orbiting around the sun compared to Jupiter? How cold would a, would a, You know, a far off planet B. And how slow does it orbit the sun? The closer you get to the sun, the closer you get to Jesus, the hotter you are, and the more effective you are for his kingdom. That's what he's calling us to. I I just want you to consider with me this deep thought. This is the deep thought today. That possession is ten times greater than profession. That possession say possession possession having your hands on something 10 times greater than just professing the 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 church of ephesus they pro they, they did this they professed knowing god it's evident but they didn't possess the passion of knowing god where are you at today what's going on in your life do you profess knowing God? Or are you, have you possessed the passion of knowing God? When we lose the first love, we lose the possession. But we hang on to the profession. And that, that will dupe you, deceive you, and take you down a slippery slope of spiritual death. Which one is greater, profession or possession? Possession is ten times greater than profession. That's where God wants us to be. So what do we do? We got to get back to the basics. You want that first love to be rekindled in your life today? Get back to the basics. Listen to what Jesus said about the basics to his followers. Said so Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. That's number one. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, what's going to happen, church? You're going to lose it but if you give up your life for my sake, then you will save it. I love that. Here's the crux of it, though. This is the boiling point of this passage. This is where this whole sermon comes down on the funnel, and it's focused right at the center of your heart. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You could do a lot of great things from God. You could do something for God that has a TV program that broadcasts all over the world but still lose your soul. You could go on missions trip after missions trip, come up with a plan to, to give water to, clean water to all the world and still lose your soul. You could adopt orphan after orphan and fill your house, have to go down, have to go down by the interstate and buy a hotel just to have enough room for all the orphans you adopted and still lose your soul. You could wipe out your bank account today and write a check to Kingdom Builders and still lose your own soul. You could do all of the great worship songs and lead them with incredible passion and lose your own soul. You could, be a, a, you could be a great orator and communicate with passion and lose your own soul. How would that even happen? It's a scary thought, isn't it? That God would allow us to succeed in some of our greatest giftings but yet lose our own soul. It's the greatest deception of the enemy. The question today is, who's on first? Because if it's defined by what your hands can do and by some great thing that you do that could conquer the whole world, it's probably focused on the wrong thing. got to come back to my soul. It is my soul on fire and with a passion for more of Jesus. Or am I content with just what my hands can do? clocking in and clocking out in my Christianity. Church, during this series, we're going to be looking at many different things and addressing the, the concept and attacking the issue, who's on first? Let's let it start today. Who's on first? What do you need to do today? Make a move to God. Come to an altar. The altars are for the hungry. Worship God with a passion. Ask God, Lord, rekindle the passion in me Rekindle the passion in me to love you like I did at first. He wants us to come back to like we did at first with this newfound passion. Come back to him and ask him, Jesus, I want my relationship with you to be like it was at first. Turn and repent and come back to Christ. Don't give up what you're doing. Just come back to him in your heart and say, Jesus, I want more of you than I want anything else. I want you to be on first. Are you with me today? That's where we're going. Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. So, Lord, we, we're just going to start today, all across new life. In every in every campus, we're going to start with repentance. That's where we're going to start. We're just going to start with this attitude of saying, God, forgive me. And church, I just want to encourage you as we pray, <clears throat> you insert what it is that you need, you need to repent of that's taken first place over God. Maybe it's just a slow fade. But Lord, I truly, I stand before you and I repent today, just on behalf of me. And Lord, there's times when I hide behind the spiritual leadership of this church instead of hiding in your presence. Forgive me for that. Lord, come and fill our hearts today with a brand new passion. To possess more of you in our lives let it be less about professing that we know you may it be more about possessing a passion of knowing you may we press into you today like we did at first let us come back to our first love and may we once again put jesus christ on first in our lives jesus we give you the authority and the freedom to renew a right relationship in us And restore to us the joy of our salvation that we might worship you with passion and with freedom today. In North Platte, in Ogallala, and in Kearney, may Jesus rule in your life. May the freedom of Christ reign and rule over you. May the passion of God be renewed in you. And may the presence of his spirit impact you today. In Jesus' name, amen.